Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Your Intention Matters, the podcast. Thank you again very much for taking the time to listen to this episode. My name, of course, is still Paul Madot. Today, I have David Ritchie. He is v- VP Business Development at MedCan, coming to us from the great city of Toronto. Of course, people know I'm from Toronto. I'm biased, but uh, it's the six. David, man, how are things? Doing well, Paul. Thanks for having me here. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that uh, we're able to uh, get this on the books here. Do me a favor. Say hi to everybody. Provide a quick intro and then we'll jump into it. Okay. Well, hi, everybody. Uh, my name is David Ritchie. I'm the VP of Business Development with MedCan. Uh, we're based in Toronto, a healthcare uh, services organization. And uh, yeah, my background is something we'll we'll get into, but uh, that's that's what I do today. I come from a kind of non-traditional sales background, and something that uh, has led me on a journey that's been, I think, rather interesting. So, uh, yeah, excited to uh, dive into that. Yeah, so am I. So, with that said, uh, yeah, let, let's take the deep dive here. So, you know, David, as you know, the title of this podcast series is called "Your Intention Matters," and as we've been discussing, it's really built on my foundation that nothing is really given to any of us. And it all starts with what's up top with mindset and intention. And most of us, and I think you fall into this category, most of us in the world of sales or sales leadership or sales enablement, never thought we'd even get into this field, let alone sustain a career in it. And so uh, with that said, uh, you ready to start sharing your story here? Yeah, sure. All right, let's jump into it. So David, what we do on this episode is we go back in time. We're going back to some choppy waters of 2002. I mean, right now is nothing great, but uh, the early 2000s were nothing uh, spectacular either with, with, with what happened there as well. And so you're graduating York University, bachelor's in uh, administrative studies and accounting. Um, I, don't think, I don't see sales there anywhere in your scope. You keep me honest, but what do you think you'd be doing, call it almost 20 years ago? What was your path? That's a good question. You know, the path was probably always in my mind, um, something around sales and marketing and certainly love business and uh, entrepreneur, entrepreneurship was something that also rang uh, true for me, maybe entrepreneur, because uh, even to this date, haven't truly gone and ventured on my own. But the, the foundational was sales and marketing eventually. But in my university days, found uh, there was almost a, a sense of marketing uh, courses that I was taking that it was really theoretical where the practical folks in college a lot more hands-on and I just questioned what was I going to come out with uh, from an undergrad perspective yeah. and the accounting side rang true is a little bit more um, you know foundational my tangible you could, right tangible my dad's a, a chartered accountant so well, that must have influenced me subconsciously. It's in the DNA, man. It's in the DNA, it's in the DNA, right? It's in the DNA. And so, you know, once I started going towards that accounting finance, the next thing that happened was recruiters coming to the school, those big four accounting firms. And once that kind of got rolling and you get into it and, you know, the idea of a guaranteed salary out of school, yeah. these folks are wooing you and you're trying to get in there. I just said, okay, uh, I'll, I'll go with that. And then I'll still get to the sales and marketing career down the road. It's even more foundational. And then once you go down that path, you, you layer on more and more kind of down a road, hard to veer away, but you're still moving towards something. So that's, that's what I thought I'd be doing in some way. And it's interesting how 
um, only until recently I hadn't formally had any role tied to sales and marketing. And so of the big four that, you know, wooed you, which one wooed you the most and where'd you land? Yeah, KPMG was the where it was where I landed. Just a small um, little KPMG company. Just a small little uh, company yeah. in the accounting world. Yeah, there were big ones and small ones, and I, I got to tell you, part of the small firm allure is, you know, what you get to do. You'll deal with, you know, uh, IPOs. You're doing the financials and the audit, but just much more uh, of a broad uh, uh, experience early on. Whereas at the big firms, you're kind of stuck in. Um, financial statement line items and, and photocopying in year one, uh, year two, and it's very uh, narrow, you're in a box, but the training and the sort of name and being around a professional environment like that, yeah. it was too hard to, um, to not uh, pursue. So yeah, KPMG was uh, the one and had a great so, experience there, but uh, yeah. Did you work out of the KPMG at uh, Bay Adelaide? No, uh, no. North York. North like York. Ice practice. I think okay. that's no longer a term there, but information, communication, and entertainment. Uh, the I wasn't sure if you worked out of the uh, the building where they film suits or not. No, no, no. All right. So you worked at KPMG for how long? Was there for four years. Um, pretty much, you have to do a certain amount of hours uh, under audit and taxation, and. Um, they work you hard, but the return side is they train you to get your exams done and uh, become certified as a, as a CA. Now it's called CPA. Um, so as a chartered accountant. But I knew from the start that that wasn't where I wanted to be long term. Um, audit was, uh, let's just say, an area that you know, I didn't feel was of, of major value add. It's important, but not one that I saw myself staying in for the long term. And so I had my eye on the next move. Um, so between 2002 and 2006, um, I was with KPMG and then I moved uh, into industry. Okay. So I'm interested about the move because, you know, I've never worked for KPMG. I've never worked with them. So I don't know them as an organization in detail, but I know them to be a massive powerhouse and with strong presence and, and brand share and market share and brand strength within that industry. What yeah. was the, was the opportunity not there for you to do what you wanted within KPMG behind their firewall or like what was behind your decision to move on? That's a good question because in retrospect, there were more things within KPMG, even on the consulting side um, that may have been opportunities for me, but the natural next step, was either you progress from, you know, senior um, associate to, to manager and partner eventually down the audit path. Mm. And maybe tax was one where people were making a move to less commonly. Did you hear about folks going into, you know, consulting, there were some going into sort of transactional stuff, M and a, you know, finance. Um, but the, the vast majority were moving into industry into a role within a company in their finance department. Um, and so I, 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 I honestly don't know the answers to why, but in retrospect, that would have been a great place to look because in later stages of my career, I had even re-engaged with folks at KPMG around healthcare consulting. Oh, is that another, right? Another piece. So yeah, I, I think at the time it seemed like a more natural place to go to a company that needed a finance professional. And to be frank, the, the recruiters were calling you all the time uh, for those opportunities. So it might've okay. just been what was an easier path at the time. Well, so somebody else wooed you. So who stepped up that, that made you say, okay, now it's time to do something different? Well, I joined Wyeth 
uh, as a uh, Wyeth Pharmaceuticals. If you recall, they've been acquired by Pfizer since. Okay. Uh, this is a large global pharma company. And I got to tell you, part of what woos you is not being an audit and getting out of there. Gotcha. Um, the, pharma, the pharma industry was something I didn't know much about, but I did want to have a company that did something I was interested in because the numbers can get really boring. <laughs> and I always thought when I, when I was interested in the business behind the numbers, it made it much more interesting, um, but didn't know much about pharma going in. And at the beginning, I was just excited to have like a nine to five and go home <laughs> on, you know, with daylight. And right. um, there was a lot of learning about a, 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 that type of environment, just very different. So I started off in a treasury role uh, looking after pension management. They had a couple hundred million in sort of uh, managed uh, investments for a DB and a VC fund. Um, a year later, went into a commercial finance role and then also had a strategic sourcing role. So within their finance group, some different exposure. But what really what I enjoyed the most was in the commercial finance. We were supporting the business, uh, marketing and sales from a finance perspective, working on sort of budgets. So rather than counting and looking backwards, which I mm. never really loved from a value perspective, it was the moving, looking forward and being more strategic in terms of supporting the business from a finance perspective. And so that was a key learning for me. It was still, I don't really like accounting, but within that world, I was starting to move towards what got me yeah. excited. And so it sounds like you were there for about four years as well. If I, if I have my, my math correct as you're speaking. Yeah. So bit, okay. probably over three, just three years and some. Okay, so just um, over three years. Okay, yeah. so when you were there, what was Wyeth acquired by Pfizer during that time, or did that happen after the fact? No, so they uh, announced the uh, the acquisition. So I joined Wyeth in 06. Mm. two thousand nine um, is when the acquisition was announced. Okay, but it would take a year from the time they announced it to the time that you know everybody would be packaged out and some moved to Montreal, where Pfizer was headquartered. Um, but I was, I think, too early in my career to stick it out for any sort of package. And um, I don't think the environment was conducive to growth. You know, people are sort of just walking around talking about what their severance is going to look like right. and calculating those things. So I started engaging with recruiters at that time. Um, and that's where the next opportunity came up. Well, that's why I asked her the question, because I was curious if the acquisition uh, factored into the decision, either you got a check to not come to work the next day, or if you electively moved on. And it sounds like you just could see maybe the path. It wasn't for what you wanted and there wasn't an opportunity. You didn't want to go to Montreal and, and for, for your reasons. And so you decided to move on. Yeah, because a check would have been a year, waiting for for a year, which many people did, especially if you're long tenured. But at yeah. that stage of my career, I was looking to move and keep moving. And yeah. that would have been an idle year to collect a, a, a check. Um, so yeah, that wasn't in the cards for me. Okay, and so where'd you go? Went to Allergan, which Allergan. Um, is another pharma company. So yeah. By the way, pharma has got something really unique about it. Your, your, your end user of your product um, is, is not the decision maker. So the end user is the patient, the decision right. maker is the physician. So you're trying to yeah. influence the, the and, and neither of those are paying for it. That's the third party payer, insurance <laughs> right. company or government. So, you know, then you've got all sorts of other things like your regulated, you know, pricing. Um, you're regulated for, for publicly reimbursed pricing, but not for private. And you've got, you know, so different pricing. And so the, the way that business works, finance has a huge value add to play, whether it's on health outcomes and budget impact analysis, 
to get your drug covered. Um, and the world of pharma, just getting your drug approved, that's just the beginning. Mm. Then there's all sorts of go-to-market types of things where finance has a huge influence. And so that's where you can see I, I started to get excited about being a value add to the business. And you know, after my time at Wyeth, I wanted to really go down that, that path a little further. So Allergan was a great you know, company in that they, they were growing 25% a year. They have Botox, which I think you've heard of. Um, and half of Botox is uh, cosmetic, as we know, but half mm. of it's therapeutic. And it's a, a wonder drug with multiple indications. Um, and so beyond that, they had an eye care business and other, other uh, parts of their portfolio. But um, what I loved about them is they were really entrepreneurial. For a $200 million business in Canada, um, they really had a, a lean organization um, yeah. and sort of decision-making. And I had, you know, I was in front of leadership there. Um, for me, that was really cool. And as you could tell I'm moving closer to that entrepreneurial environment. So you've got a KPMG professional services, Wyeth, uh, yeah. and now you're getting a little tighter into the entrepreneurial least environment. Um, but a, a year and a half in, the phone rang. And when you're happy and not looking, sometimes these things happen. And the opportunity rang for a, a real startup of pharma. I say real, close to real. And mm. this was a Japanese company called Azai that was looking to set up a, a subsidiary in Canada. And so this would be um, the second hire. They had a GM who was a Japanese expat. Um, and this would be their, their first hire and really building from scratch. And the role would be finance, operations, setting up their distribution, um, you know, building a team, launching products, and really sales, marketing, and distribution is the focus here, uh, taking their product portfolio from a global perspective and their, and their pipeline yeah. and uh, bringing that to Canada. And so that's where uh, I spent the next five years. You know, the decision to move over to what your definition is more of a startup within pharma you know, it's funny, I, I've never joined a startup, but I did start up my own company. And so I, so I have that, you know, somewhat experience. But I'm curious about something, because it's interesting, when you join a startup, it can be feast or famine, it can be huge reward, but huge risk as well. And so um, what was it a, a simple decision for you? Was it a long drawn out thought like, okay, so they found you, was it immediate? Okay, we're doing this or was no, let me just test because you, you weren't really begging to go anywhere. So what was that like in terms of the process to, uh, to, to let go of the branch and move on? Yeah, when I say um, sort of startup, I mean, it's still a global organization. So once I was able to dig into that a little further, the question was, well, what's their commitment to Canada? And the way they had structured this was really um, what they call their new markets division reporting. You know, they have a North, they have a U.S. based operation. Um, and you would naturally report into you know, North America, but they mm. had this reporting directly to Japan and what they call their new markets, like an incubator type of division. Right. And they had a commitment to make it work, you know, on their five-year plan. And so I just said to myself, you know, even if this was a one-year or a, you know, three-year um, and then it didn't work out, like they would at least give it that kind of go. And I'd be willing to take that risk in my career to have the ability to build from scratch. So uh, I, I was confident in that regard. And again, from a financial backing perspective, I don't think making payroll was going to be an issue right. as long as there was a corporate uh, imperative to you know, bring it to Canada. Right, and once right. I saw that they had publicly announced they were coming to Canada, 
public companies don't generally say things and then right. not do them, or at least try to do it. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. And so how long were you at, uh, is it Asai? Asai. Yeah. Asai. Um, how long were you there? I was there for five years and the first three were the time of my life. I, mm. I've got to say for the first time in my career, you can ask my wife, I was coming home and, you know, telling her I love my day and my job. And until then, I'd really been struggling. Like, am I in the right place? Am I still trying to get to that, you know, sales and marketing or, yeah. you know, entrepreneur and be my own business, run my own business. But my, my feeling, I think after about three years was one, they changed the reporting line down to the US. And so it became really, instead of startup, subsidiary yeah. field. Yeah, and I, I get that. Quarter, quarterly trips to Wood, Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey, uh, you know, for the dog and pony show asking for money, we'd get it. And we're still like a startup, but we were now reporting into this big corporate structure. And uh, that sort of changed the dynamic there. And so after five years, um, I felt like that learning curve was leveling off. Hmm. And then it was sort of what's next. And uh, yeah. That did you look or did you get wooed again? I looked. You looked. I started looking and I said, you know what? Um, okay, there's a trend here. I'm going down this uh, pharma subsidiary path. I don't really want to relocate to, you know, Collegeville, Pennsylvania or somewhere in Europe yeah. uh, where growth in pharma, um, you know, requires a little bit of mobility potentially. Um, otherwise, you're sort of subsidiary world in Canada for large pharma at least. And so the other piece was like, I didn't know that we were really innovators. You know, we like to say we were. But sometimes when you're having, you know, when you're introducing the fifth generation Me Too antidepressant drug, <laughs> you have to ask yourself if you're really innovating. Um, and I believe that the innovation for pharma was actually, for healthcare was actually starting to cross into the tech, health tech, that intersection. And so it started to open my mind to say, hey, I love this space. It doesn't need to be pharma. I love the healthcare space. Um, and, and what else is out there? And that's where I came across a company called Newtopia that's actually actually in the disease prevention space. And, and what they do is they use uh, genetics, behavioral science, oh, wow. and technology, and they provide coaching with a human, but they sort of use this best of high touch, human touch and smart touch and help uh, coach folks to uh, change their habits, re reduce their risk of disease, and then save money for their employers. So the economics were there to get employers to sponsor this. And uh, I'm really a believer in what they do. So that's sort of uh, the digital health startup. And now we're talking about real startup. This is venture back. And um, I came in to lead their finance function. And as their CFO, uh, this is where the stakes became real. Like, are we going to make payroll on Tuesday? Right. Like, real questions. And uh, I, I love that. And I even, you know, why don't I pause <laughs> um, before I dive too deep? But yeah, that was a great experience. Well, so I, I'm curious about the the fascination or the interest in, in being loving being a part of, of that environment because for so many, I can see a fear of I, I don't like that uncertainty of of you know almost check to check maybe not literally but like not that far off and so where did that come from? Do you think what made you, what what do you think drives you to really kind of step up and say okay like let's go this this kind of makes it fun if I can use for the lack of a better term. Yeah, Paul, maybe this is going to turn into a bit of a shrink section section uh, session because you're making me think about like the why. And I don't know that I've done that, but I would say 
the entrepreneurial desire that I probably never tapped into by going to do my own thing. Yeah. Um, I think I, I felt that I was fine. I was getting way closer to that and sort of part of having, you know, a board who were actually the investors, um, the, you know, the, the investors really, you know, questioning the business and whether you were going to get the check was a real question mark. Whereas when I went to New Jersey, as I mentioned, I was getting yeah. the check. I still right. had to kind of go through the pitch, but I was getting the check. Yeah. And, um, and they paid just, for your flight and everything. They paid yeah. For my flight <laughs> and everything. This time, you know, staying at the Airbnbs and going to meet the VCs and getting yeah. you know, turned down, turned down, turned down. Um, the stakes felt real. Hmm. Uh, I was also passionate about the space and what we were trying to do, you know, disrupt US healthcare uh, from a little Toronto office. And uh, the people I was around, you know, inspired me in many respects. And so I think all of that, but tapping into um, as close to entrepreneurial as I had been and a confidence that, you know what, if this didn't work out, I'll be okay. I'll, I'll, I'll figure out the next move. And so people would say to me when I would talk about, oh, I don't know if we've got payroll for next week um, until we raise, close on this raise. People would say, dude, why didn't you go, you know, why don't you get out of there? Like go yeah. get a job somewhere. And, you know, if I was, if that was my primary concern, I'd work at Rogers, you know, when I left right. their large organizations, big finance departments, and you're not yeah, going anywhere. That's right. Um, so I was there for a reason. Yeah. So I, I want to chat with you about uh, really 2020, because I know you've been with MedCan for about a year and a half now, give or take. And, you know, when you're, when you sell into healthcare and healthcare has really been, you know, a, a different industry this year in particular my wife's a nurse as I talked to you about and so I, I get a little bit of exposure to what you know what the frontline workers are experiencing what these physicians are experiencing and so for you personally as well as professionally uh, how have you handled 2020 other than the fact that you're probably working from home how has it been for you yeah I can't complain I'll be honest uh, given uh, you know what's happening on a relative scale I think um, I've been able to you know keep a job um be closer to my family, be, be able to work from home um, and actually in some ways be more effective in connecting with people. Um, just the logistics of connecting with you today yeah. might have otherwise taken half of a half a day. And so when I think about getting in front of clients and stakeholders, um, you know, having four or six people in the room or now on the screen, it's instantaneous. And I think um, a lot of things have uh, been enabled in that regard. Um, but also, in, in terms of impact, you know, one thing that my organization kind of pivoted towards, um, there were some shutdowns and some impact for sure, but actually participating in advising some of our clients on the pandemic and navigating the world of COVID. And so the world of what I've been reading in the news and, you know, even now as we talk about um, COVID testing and returning to the workplace, we started working with our clients in that regard. So it all kind of merged together in a way that for me, there was a satisfaction or a fulfillment out of, you know, being certainly not frontline, but being right in front of, you know, what's happening um, in the world. So it felt very relevant, felt very impactful, and just felt very much grateful for my own situation. And, and that kind of gratitude has been forced upon us. Um, again, it's not a good thing, and we would wish yeah. this away in a moment, especially everything about 2020. Uh, but there's been some good for sure. You know, I, I, you know, I have to test my memory here, David, but I don't think I've ever interviewed someone or even met somebody who jumps into sales as a VP of the department. 
And so uh, I did you think you would ever just do that? Most most times there's like you, you move into individual contributor, BDR, SDR, account executive, sales manager, director. And then but then all of a sudden they just throw you into VP of, of biz dev and you're you're responsible for a team of salespeople with no real sales experience up until this point. And then you're, you're managing it virtually now because we're still working from home and there's still no end in sight. And so um Pretty good so far. I mean, other than the fact that you're virtually, you've been you've been doing okay. It sounds like. Yeah, pretty good so far. And I think the 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 story behind that maybe is worth sharing because, you know, again, I mentioned uh, the company I was at previously in uh, digital health. Um, their path was one to go actually on the public venture exchange, uh, Toronto Venture Exchange, and and to maintain. Uh, you know, recapitalize or to continue to tap into capital. Um, I thought that wasn't the best path, given you're trying to disrupt healthcare in the US and being public at that stage um, is, I think, challenging. And so that's not to say I didn't believe in, in what they're doing and even right. in the fact that they'll get there. But it did, it did mean that when the phone rang and a recruiter called about MedCan, I, I just I picked up the phone. I said, OK, that's one organization that when it comes to Canada and having a critical mass, a brand, and an opportunity to make an impact in healthcare, I've got to just pay attention. And it was a CFO role for MedCan. And so I met with them um, and actually walked out with an offer for leading the corporate sales and account management function as Hmm. as what I do today. And I kind of came home and I said, what did I say in that interview process that kind of led them to identify this as a good fit? Yeah, and I didn't tell them. I didn't tell them the story I shared with you today. How once upon a time, this is what I thought I would be doing, um, but I think it may have come from just being passionate about this space and having spent a lot of time in healthcare. I think the messaging, you know, in a venture-backed company, and telling the story and being able to articulate, uh, you know, where you're trying to go, right? What you're trying to accomplish. I think that might have come through and an understanding of those unique elements I mentioned, you know, payers um, and physicians and influence and just that healthcare environment is very unique. And so hopefully I, uh, the foundational pieces of finance and some of the structure and understanding the pieces of the puzzle, um, you know, and you could figure out the other things. So it was, I worried and intimidated uh, and you just spun off a lot of things that I hadn't done on the way to the role. Yes, yeah. I, I was. And probably still am. But then I recognized, wait a sec, there's a team in place. They know that stuff. And if I just kind of check those insecurities at the door, check ego at the door, go in with a growth mindset here, ask them to teach me, support them in any way I can. Don't try to be someone I'm not. And, um, you know, hopefully that will will resonate and, you know, move things in the right direction. So I'm still on that, on that journey in terms of learning, even the nuts and bolts, but um, um, I've been enjoying it uh, very much and very grateful. Well, David, you've had quite the ride, man. I mean, start off with accounting, you go into KPMG, you move into finance, a startup, now you're in sales and sales leadership. And, uh, you know, at, like most of us, meandering paths and just probably not what you thought you'd be doing 20 years after, you know, getting ready to get out there. Now, what's been your foundation? So I think two things like one thing is not always knowing where the you know next place is or is my blueprint you know matching Mm. (laughs) what i'm doing today 
Um, also, what's your passion? You know, I have Googled, you know, finding your passion and folks make it sound easy. Like all you have to do is find that and you'll never work another day in your life. And, <laughs> so and, simple, know, right? Yeah. Right. So yeah. simple. And I'm like, well, well, let me think about my passion. You know, I really enjoy, um, you know, relaxing on the beach on vacation or what, what, what are the, I'm like, do I have to have a passion about my, my day job? But what I have recognized is just getting, you know, moving towards something and finding out what I really like, even start finding out what I love and don't worry about setting the standard that it has to be identify your passion. And yeah. so that moving towards something, I think you, your, your podcast theme, you know, setting intention, um, even at times where I didn't set the intention outwardly, it was in there and that had been set and there's a path and decisions you make are tied back to that. So for me, I'd say it's um, finding purpose and, and impact. And for me, healthcare has been a huge opportunity to deliver purpose because I, I love the nuance of the business. Ultimately, you are helping people yeah. in, in a direct way. And then impact, I think, is tied to the entrepreneurial side. Uh, being able to know, know that, that things I do on a day-to-day -day basis have an impact. Right. Having payroll next week, next week is directly impacted by things I'm going to do between now and then. Yeah. So the entrepreneurial environment. So I would say purpose and impact. Um, are, are thematically the foundational things that I love have it. Uh, driven me in my career. David, man, it's been so much fun getting to know you. Thanks so much for freeing up the time. My pleasure, Paul. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. All right, everybody. Let's wrap another episode up right now. Remember, your intention matters. Why? Because that's the result you'll tend to get. We're out of here. We'll do it again next week. Be safe, everybody. And of course, happy holidays.